Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, and with me is international thought leader and noted agenda setter, Ellie Jacobs. Thank you very much, Frank. As always, we'd like to thank our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and urge everybody to subscribe. We know of uh, several new subscribers this week. We'd also like everybody to rate us on iTunes. Um, if I am a thought leader and agenda setter, the agenda I set is for you to leave ratings for us on iTunes and to subscribe so you're getting all of our stuff in a timely fashion. And what more important agenda could there be? There is none because that's where our Casper mattress fortune is going to come from. That's exactly right. We're going to get ourselves a sweet, sweet spot in Davos on the back of our thought leadership on this podcast and that Casper mattress fortune. Casper mattress fortune. Somehow uh, we will end up with more money than, the, than whoever owns Casper mattresses. Casper, presumably. Well, I think that's how startups work. Like the other people get more money than the initial people and then it IPOs and everybody goes broke, right? That's how it works. That seems to be the model. Yes. And, and then, and look, you know, I mean, you, you can't, you can't screw with tradition. And then we invade Iraq, I think, right? That's how startup that, world works. That, that feels, that feels right. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, everybody should also follow us on Twitter at, at taking ship and that's ship with a P as in pint. Yes. As in pint, as in go have one it is a lovely afternoon uh but it's almost certainly not when you are listening to this podcast in fact i guarantee you that it almost in fact i can almost guarantee you it won't be but still go have a pint it uh, you've earned it all right turning now to the question of people who may or may not have earned a nice afternoon pint uh and, and mainly people who have not uh the government was shut down last weekend uh was shut down shortly after we recorded and posted uh, our own podcast uh coincidence can i just stop you and say I barely have a recollection of the fact that the government was shut down. Right. This is this That's just is how much stupidity in dumbest timeline America just like churns. Yeah. Oh yeah. Over yeah, an yeah. hour this, to hour basis. We've talked about this is this has been discussed a lot. Uh, I mean, it got every <laughs> this is the goddamn thing about about twenty about twenty sixteen seventeen and now eighteen. Everything is discussed a lot. Nothing has not been discussed enormously. It's all been fucking worried to death. Okay, but but this is a but this particular phenomenon that you bring up is a really important one it's one that we've alluded to you hear it you've it is certainly not distinct to us and not a concept that we invented that so much is happening that you just can't retain it it's the like the mind just reels uh, under the weight of all of this uh, all of this uh, hilarious bullshit so uh, yeah, there, there's been a, there's been a lot of uh, um articles or retrospectives uh, the 20th anniversary of of the um uh, uh, breaking of the Lewinsky scandal, which we're not supposed to call the Lewinsky scandal. We're supposed to call the Clinton scandal now, understandably for uh, very obvious reasons. Um, and the reporters that have sort of been recounting this and everybody should read, uh, I, we tweeted it on the taking ship uh, Twitter feed. Uh, Charlie Pierce has a great take on this uh, as he usually does from Esquire. He's, we'd like him to be a friend of the pod. Maybe we can somehow convince him to come on and chat with us once, but I was actually almost convinced he was sitting next to me at a bar the other night until I realized that he doesn't actually live in New York. So that was a stupid idea for me to have. Yeah, uh, but, but one of the, like a lot of, uh, one of the points that a lot of these reporters have made is that just information, like things were changing and breaking so quickly. It was hard to follow and it was hard to keep track of. I'm just like, you goddamn morons. Like Twitter didn't even exist then. The internet didn't exist then. 
What are you talking oh, about? Yeah. Things were breaking and things were happening too fast. You couldn't get your, you know, number two pencil across the paper quick enough. Like, screw that. Come on, yeah, grow up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wait until, yeah, that's exactly right. If only they'd known that 20 years later, they would be so drenched in incomprehensible bullshit that they wouldn't know which way was up. This is progress, friends. So yes, what? So yes, because we because it is Friday and this happened last week and it's almost faded from absolute memory. But no, it's true. The government did in fact shut down uh, over the over the weekend and was shut down a little bit on Monday, and then government reopened. Um, and and the big there were two things. There are two questions uh, that that needed to be resolved at the start of the shutdown before uh, the government could be reopened. Uh, it was Democrats who were, who were preventing uh, the passage of a, of, a, of a temporary spending bill or a spending bill even longer than one that would, than, if, than the few weeks that would keep the government open and allow negotiations to continue. And the two critical points were- Well, the, the fact that our government of you know, multiple trillions of dollars and essentially is the heartbeat of worldwide peace and security functions on two-week IOUs yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, no, it's no way to run a railroad um, is, is emblematic of dumbest timeline America. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, there are two issues. One of them was the children's health insurance program chip, uh, which is a program that, and, and I always forget what that, uh, uh, what that acronym stands for because it's so absurdly simple. I'm sure it can't be right. It's like, but it, so yes, children's health insurance program. Right. I just assume it has to do with some television show I used to watch when I was right. sick in the eighties. Yeah. Or some like some like piece of technology perhaps, or uh, something that you would uh, use to scoop salsa into your gaping maw. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that we need a law that guarantees that children the, who can't afford healthcare otherwise can go get their tonsils taken out without bankrupting their family is just, Batshit lunacy. Oh yeah, the, the, and the, yes, this was a subject of debate, and in fact, chip expired uh, in September, uh, and and so getting that reauthorized, getting some money back on the table to again prevent poor children from sickening and wasting like, to give uh, to give health insurance. I mean, this is some genuine Ebenezer Scrooge shit right here. Like, you know, are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Better they die and decrease the surplus population. But anyway, enough of that. Chip was up, and also the fate of the of the so-called dreamers. These, uh, for uh, those of you listening who uh, who may not know this, and I'm sure this probably they're, they're, most of you are probably more than familiar with this concept right now. So I'll be brief. Uh, dreamers, the so-called dreamers, are of course children uh, who were brought to this country uh, without documentation as children. They have remained in America. They have built their lives in America. They are in every functional sense American citizens, uh, but they are not documented, and they were have actually never. And there is a question about how to. Uh, to build about how what permanent legal status can we build that will allow these again in every meaningful way Americans uh, will allow these 700,000 Americans to stay in the only home they've ever known those are the two issues chip uh, was resolved uh, was resolved in a house bill that Democrats later signed on to and Democrats uh, did not close the government for long uh, they reopened the government and there was a thought for a while that this might run until the dream until chip and the dreamers were dealt with uh, but uh, Democrats reopened the government uh, with a promise from Mitch McConnell that there would be a an open debate. There'd be an open debate and a vote on by on uh, on partisan on a uh, ideal, perhaps a bipartisan, but at any rate, uh, immigration reform measure, which had previously not been on the agenda. So and then so the government reopened. Uh, uh, Chuck Schumer uh, decided essentially decided in in a, in a in a bolder move than I would give Democratic leadership credit for that the cost of the Republicans not having played nice was that we were going to take the border wall off the table. The idea of the border wall as a bargaining chip had been up for a while. 
Schumer said, uh, Schumer came out of the the shutdown saying, nope, there's not going to be a border law, border wall. We're going to talk about immigration, but there's no, we're not, there's not going to be, no, we're not going to trade you a wall for the dreamers. I'm sorry, that's not going to occur. Uh, Trump came back with his own, the Trump White House came back with their own proposal that was increased funding for border security, uh, draconian restrictions on future uh, immigration and uh, future legal immigration, I, I hasten to add, and then and the idea was, you know, if you give us these things, we'll we'll talk about uh, what you know what to do with the dreamers. So that's kind of where things stand. When Democrats broke the shutdown, there was a certain amount of understandable frustration. Uh, the idea of the Democratic Party taking a stand and saying we are, you know, not you know not not one bullet, not one inch until the dreamers are taken care of is very appealing for people in the party, and I have to say, including me, uh, people in the party who are frankly used to us negotiating with ourselves and negotiating ourselves out of a bargaining, out of a good bargaining position. Uh, that, that, uh, and, and, uh, you know, for those of you who may feel that way, I, I don't, I don't blame you at all. My own read on this is this was worth getting chip off the table and the dreamer fight is not over. The dreamer fight is, is, is very much about to happen. <laughs> Uh, and and the proof of this particular pudding will be in the eating of it. The only point, the only further point I will say here is, as a party, we have to be willing to shut the government down again and to keep it shut until the dreamers are dealt with. It may come to that if we are not willing to to do that and to do as Republicans have done in the past, holding our breath until we turn blue. Uh, you know, this is you know, then then we are not going to get what we want of the dreamers, or we're going to make some sort of deal that is just that is that is not worth making. Um, so the fight on the dreamers is ahead of us. If we're willing to see it through, I think we can make something out of this. Uh, but that's that that is that fight is still very much ahead of us. Right. So not surprisingly, Frank and I agree on about eighty five percent of these uh, uh, of this um, shutting down the government to protect Chip um, is just an obvious move to make that's the basic um, functioning of anyone with a anyone with a heart and a brain i mean the, the idea of not funding chip is too monstrous to contemplate on, on a purely on a purely political level if the democrats had made it all about and nothing else about chip th- that would have been the royal flush instead again trying to remove yourself from a partisan context and you're looking at it from the outside democrats doing chip and then tying in the dreamers to that as a secondary thing is basically figuring out a way to lose with a flush. You know, the, the nuts get flopped and somehow you manage to lose. And to me, the, 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 the dreamer issue, which Frank and I obviously hundred, you and I hundred percent agree on, on, on the issue and what it needs that what needs to happen. Um, but I feel that if the government was going to be in a posi- in a precarious position to potentially get shut down, there was an opportunity to tie it 110, 100% to chip and do that and then worry about the immigration thing two weeks from now when you get the, you know, you get the CR to get chip passed because Republicans don't want to be seen as quite that evil, or at least most of Republicans, um, Tom Cotton being, you know, the exception, obviously. Um, and he's just the exception to humanity, I think, at this point. Um, but the the dreamer issue as a negotiating point, which inevitably it will become because I would say that immigration overall is one of the few non-military issues that are truly bipartisan. 
which means no one's going to get everything that they want. And uh, particularly people on the, you know, hard left or however you want to put it are going to be incredibly disappointed with whatever the final deal is going to be because in order to get 60 votes, it's going to be a deal that's not going to make that is, you're not going to get everything you want. And, yep. and you're likely going to have to give up a lot. There may be something in that. Even if it's, you know, bullshit of, you know, building a $12 billion nonsense wall over water and mountains. Yeah. The, the deal and, and, and to your point about uh, having to give up something that, that or having to make a deal that we wouldn't necessarily like the, you know, Trump made his famous shithole comment in a meeting with, about a potential bipartisan immigration reform solution that would have covered the dreamers uh, with uh, that was with a bill that was uh, proposed by Lindsey Graham and, and Dick Durbin. That was, that is not all that from a policy perspective, not, not all bad. That, well, uh, hang on. I, I actually was going to go from, I actually was going to go the other <laughs> way. That is the, it was not distinguishable from the immigration position that the far right took to sink George W. Bush's immigration reform uh, yeah. effort in the mid two thousands. Like that was considered too extreme 10 years ago. And yeah. now it's the, now, the, now it's uh, put up as Democratic Party dogma. So I honestly think at this the, point, the, the Overton window on immigration has has shifted so much in the last ten years, fifteen years. It, it's remarkable. It's bonkers, and I and 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 not not a little bit disgusting. So you know, from my perspective, this is one of the reasons that I may be, and I I, I fully agree. If we could have made this whole fight about chip, I, I mean, that's that you're in, you're in good shape on that one. We whether we could have gotten our you know the clarity of the clarity of message on that across or not is not entirely clear to me we clearly botched it one way or the other whether we were ever going to be able to get it right and make it about chip i don't know very early it was clear that that was not going to be what it ha- that was not what was going to happen here this is one of the reasons that i you know i'm sort of i am increasingly attracted to the idea of just manning the barricades and dare, you know and just you know this is it like this is this is it if you want a government we're going to get we're going to get a, if not a clean DACA, certainly DACA, this, this DACA being the, uh, the program under which the Dreamers were allowed to stay, uh, we're either going to get a clean DACA or we're going to get a position or we're going to get something that is better than what we were, neg- than what Dick Durbin was trying to negotiate for us. I realize that I am implying here that we have a great deal more strategic clarity, moral thought and backbone than we have, had, had, have as a party had a tendency to demonstrate. But I think we actually have, and this is, I, I think, a point that we've sort of overlooked here a little bit. I think our hand politically on the dreamers is actually stronger than we make it than we make it out to be. We know that uh, that that people are that American voters are on the side of the dreamers. Uh, you know, when it comes to like, should we find a way to let these people stay in the country? They're testing at 75, 80%. Like this is clearly there is no meaningful constituency for and those are uh, batshit insane numbers. That's yeah, like is, should we that's like if you were like, should we give everybody free sneakers? Yeah, should we? Yeah, that 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 is precisely it. Like, should we not punch ourselves in the face? You'd probably get twenty percent of the population that was like, no, no, I think we all deserve a good ass kicking. Uh, actually, now that I think about it, I might be one of the twenty percent. Yeah, the, I think it would be way more was, than twenty percent. That was important. It's like fifty percent are just like, yeah, man, let's let's fucking give ourselves what for? <laughs> let's let's God, stick with I, sneakers. I'm sick of this <laughs> bullshit. No, there's like the like the dreamers are understandably, and 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 this actually this is one of the things that kind of restores my faith a little bit. That you know the, the the dreamers for the most part are uh, people recognize them as Americans, uh, which they are, and and that's that's actually I mean to my mind incredibly heartening. So the question is how do we make this happen? Or, or if they don't when, recognize them as, as Americans, they recognize that 
there should be an easy way for them to become Americans. Sure. Or that, yeah, that's that, that's a really critical distinction. Sure. If, if they're not recognized as Americans, yeah, the idea that they should be turfed out and gone and, and turfed out to countries they've never known as home is not something that I mean, uh, the, the most people aware. The sheer lunacy of people like Tom Cotton and Stephen Miller, who I, I mean, I, 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 it, it, what made them like this? Yeah. yeah why are yeah, who, why are why are you what you are? Yeah. But, to, but the, oh, the no, sheer I, the sheer lunacy mm-hmm. of you know a two a two three year old kid who comes over who's brought over by his parents who have come over the you know come over a border come through a plane come through a boat whatever it might be and and again this isn't all South American immigrants this is no, far from people me. from anywhere in, around the world that you know the two three year old when he turns fifteen sixteen whatever it is she he she whatever it might be you should get rid of them. Is inhumane. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And the fact that that there is some percentage of the Republican Party, led by people like Stephen Miller and 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 Tom Mil- and, and and Tom Cotton, is 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 sheer lunacy. And the yeah. fact, but the problem becomes is the fact that 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 there is some percentage of the party that is attracted to that pulls the entire party ten yeah. percent farther than they would more than they'd be comfortable with. Sure. Even yeah. somebody like Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. himself an immigrant yeah canadian immigrant from canada from canada i mean it's yeah. still a different country yeah no that's true they speak and french they speak for yeah that's exactly that's, 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 that's well well-known quebecois zealot they have uh, different Ted, Ted money Cruz, oh my god if he turned out to be a you know sort of, you know you know french canadian extremist oh god i would love that so much but to the yeah, you know, and and to the point about this, yes, this is exactly right. Yeah, the, the the concept is ludicrous. It's pulling the Republican Party way too far to the right. It's pulling it out of, very significantly out, out of the American mainstream. But this is the number that I thought was really interesting. When the, when polled on the question of is the Dreamer fight worth shutting down the government, Americans came back in the negative about fifty. I think it was fifty six to forty four for people who were had to exp- people who were able to express an opinion. For a for as a reason to shut down the government, that is actually about as popular as a government shutdown is going to get, uh, because people don't want the government to shut down. They don't think it should shut down. They think it should work. This is not an unreasonable assumption, by the way. Uh, but to most people, government shutdown potentially means they can't go to the zoos. They can't. They can't go to national zoos. They can't go to national parks. They can't get passports. Uh, Social security checks and welfare checks and, and Medicare and Medicaid checks. Are potentially in trouble, but that—that's and those are all really important issues. To the average American, that's what a government shutdown means. It's not, you know, furloughed employees in D.C. Who gives a shit? Like, yeah. great, due respect to all of our friends who work for the federal government. If there's a government shutdown, I, I'll 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 stick your beer tab for the day. Like, yeah. the variance on the the variance on how Americans are affected by shutdowns is very very high. Some are profoundly affected by it. Most are sort of marginally affected. But it is a sign of, you know, of dysfunctionality. People don't like it. They think the government should work again, not unreasonably. So to get even close to fifty percent of the population saying, actually, this is a subject that this is worth shutting the government down over, is I would actually assign that this is I would I would take as a sign that this is something that this is a doable proposition. This is a politically doable proposition, and I hope Democrats do it. Yeah, uh, but on the subject of the of the of how this reveals an extremism within the Republican Party, I think it shows the direction of a corner of the base that 
Uh, I know you have have sort of thought about what the long term effect on the Republican Party is when you get groups like this getting this kind of influence. Right. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about you know, Democrats tearing themselves apart and Bernie, Hillary and whatever else it might be. Um, there is some level of that going on in the Republican Party. Uh, obviously, um, when we had Whitney on several months ago, that was a conversation that we had with her. We had Noah on a couple month, a couple weeks ago. That was a conversation with him. Um, but if you look at the way the Republican Party, you and I, Frank, you and I have talked a lot about the Obama coalition and what made that up and how that worked or didn't work for uh, Hillary Clinton's candidacy. If you look at what the Republican Party may be, and and obviously this is a podcast, so you can't visualize it, but it's essentially a Venn diagram. And, and you think about the different groups that make up that coalition. There's the so-called moral majority. There's the folks who are kind of traditional libertarian, Ayn Rand, conservative Republicans who all they care about is tax cuts and deregulation, uh, who, you know, at least philosophically have a lot of ground to stand on, if not theologically, which is the problem because it becomes theology to them. There are the folks who are you know, neoconservative interventionalists. Again, there, there is you know, some level of, of, of support for, for those concepts. There are the folks who are Republican strictly because the Republican Party is anti-abortion. There are folks who are strictly Republican because the Republican Party is anti-gun control. There is some percentage of the Republican Party that is that just straight up hates liberals and therefore that they are Republicans. And then there's what you and I have you know, basically mathematically figured out, which is about 20 percent of the population are just the racist deplorables. And the racist deplorables seem to be having quite their heyday, uh, as we have mentioned and as we know, just based on Donald Trump's election and the fact that, you know, uh, well, Stephen Miller has a job in the White House or Steve Bannon has had a job in the White House. But all this adds up basically to a whole bunch of different groups where, yeah, they overlap in some spots, but Donald Trump is the, is the straw that broke the camel's back of the George W. Bush coalition. And the Republican Party is in a place right now that they have not been in upwards of 30 some odd years since Reagan was elected, I would argue. There hasn't been a situation, you know, when Reagan was president, that was fine. Everybody got on that. That was sort of where the modern day Republican Party was built. George W. Bush, a lot of people pushed back because of the because of, you know, uh, um, uh, read my lips, no new taxes. And, and he broke that. So the tax cut and deregulation branch wasn't thrilled with him. Libertarian branch wasn't thrilled with him. So they went towards Perot and you ended up with Clinton. Then the Republican party was the opposition party. So they rallied against Clinton for eight years. And then they elect George W. Bush and George W. Bush doesn't follow the quote unquote conservative Republican small government playbook. And everybody's furious about that. And then you end up with Barack Obama and they're back back in the opposition. And now you have Donald Trump, which makes no sense to anybody who's been paying attention to anything because he represents precisely 0% of any part of the Republican Party 
other than the part that are racist deplorables and just hate liberals. Yeah, there is, there's a lot to that. And, and I mean, well, one of the things, by the way, this is a nice opportunity to trail our guest next week. Michelle Walker, the author of The Gray Rhino, uh, will be here joining us to talk about her book. You've heard us talk about gray rhinos before. Uh, Trump's election, I would argue, is a gray rhino in the sense that it doesn't make sense. It seemed like it came out of the blue. But if you look at it, at, like we, when we've talked about this, I think, you know, ad, you know, ad nauseum and indeed almost ad mortem on this show, uh, it actually was the result of of trends uh, within the Republican Party that that were that were that were ultimately fairly predictable. We just didn't recognize them for what they were because we didn't want to. Uh, well, you know, and, it's and chaos can, theory. Like yeah. everything has a pattern. It's just your ability to recognize it or not. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what's led us to uh, that's what's led us to to creatures like. Trump, and that's what's led us to a party that, that led the Republic led the Republican Party. We've we've talked about this before. That is, it's the Republicans are. Uh, I mean, that's a party that is a that that values, I think, authority within its party that tends to fall in line a little more easily. This is one of the few times that they haven't. But we've seen the traditional norms of the Republican Party breaking down. They have uh, until. Well, I, I I'd argue that elected members of the party save Jeff Flake and. And, and Bob Corker have all fallen in line. Yes, that's right. And they do. I mean, there is, there is a, that's, that is, I think, broadly right. That the, and, even, and even Corker and, and Flake have fallen in line on votes. Be, I mean, that, be, you know. Because as we say on our Twitter regularly, tax cuts plus, plus deregulation is greater than morality. That's exactly right. So in that sense, this is, in that sense, this, the, but this, the, you know, the, the Republican parties can, there aren't new constituent parts to the party. But they're drawing, but they're drifting away from each other. Uh, whether they can be brought back in line again, I think is a, is a, I mean, is is a really a question for them. Um, but it's, but it has certainly led, and you know, as we sort of talk about uh, the way that parties, the way that party leaders and politicians fall in line, it has led some people to do some pretty strange things, which I think will lead us. I think it's a nice segue into uh, venal pack. Uh, we, we have a new, you know, venal pack, uh, you know, we, out uh, the, uh, organization that we have founded, uh, to honor the heroes of the war on the war on corruption. This is actual corruption or, or just self-promotion and low down lousy turpitude, uh, has a new, has, you know, has a new nominee for venal pack champion of the week. Uh, and that champion is Ron Johnson. Ellie, why are we honoring Ron Johnson today? Well, we honor Ron Johnson, uh, partially because he's from Wisconsin, and Wisconsin in general is just, I mean, if we want to look at a state to blame for a lot of things that have gone wrong in the last number of years, it's Wisconsin. Uh, despite the fact that there's great beer and cheese from there, um, they are to blame for a lot of a lot of things over the last number of years. Their, their electorate, I guess, is, is to yeah. blame. Yeah, they've given us they've given us Scott Walker uh, and and the whole concept of Scott Walker and Paul and Paul Ryan, Ryan and, and Ron now, Johnson and now, and now Ron Johnson yeah. and now Ron Johnson who in the Republican Party's uh, just there isn't I haven't found the proper word in English I can only assume that there's one in Russian or German for it of, of just the lunacy of the Republican Party to defend Donald Trump. Um. There's got to be a good German word for it. I, I'm, I'm sure there is, uh, but I but because I can't think of it, I would instead like to remind our uh, our listeners that uh, Der Spiegel once ran a cover that asked the question of Donald Trump: "Ist Donald Trump ein Sex Monster?" Yeah, that sounds about right, and that translates better than "I'm a baker." 
<laughs> I'm a I'm a donut. That's right. what you're thinking. I'm a donut. It wasn't a baker. It was a donut. Asian nice. Berliner means I'm a jelly donut. Yeah. Uh, so Ron Johnson this week uh, in his in his latest attempt to get on TV and defend Donald Trump uh, took a text message uh, and there's a lot of conversations now about text messages between Sorzak and Page and all this other stuff. I mean that is all ancillary to actual reality of what things that matter. But there was one in which uh, um, they make mention of a secret society meeting, which any thinking human being would look at and be like, yeah, like two times a week, I tell people I'm going to a secret society meeting. That just means I'm going to the bar. I'm going to the toilet. Like that's who amongst us hasn't had a secret society meeting. That was, you know, just like a cup of coffee with someone or like a a, a cheeky pint with a buddy. Yeah, no, but Ron Johnson decided that this was proof of a conspiracy to take down Donald Trump. Uh, which then the next day he recanted because he realized that maybe it was a joke. Because, because he'd been called an idiot for almost 24 consecutive hours, yeah. which to Ron Johnson's credit suggests that he is at least capable of beginning to distinguish reality. Well, from- I mean, that's also probably the longest period of time anybody's ever thought or should think about Ron Johnson. I could have sworn that he had died. I had been replaced by someone equally. I mean, you know, I mean, the guy. I kind of didn't remember that he won re-election. You run across these people that are super into these like strange, um, you know, Midwestern conservatives, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I really like Mitch Daniels. Or, you know, I'm really into you know, or like or Ron Johnson. Like he's got a lot of talent. Like and it's like pledging allegiance to a jar of mayonnaise. Where, like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening here? I was sure that he had been that he had. If you made me guess before this happened, I would have told you that he had died years ago. That he had retired and died years ago, and been replaced by some by someone equally milk toast and 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 and, and, and empty. Yeah. Butt. His name, his, his name was showing up all over the news, and I was like, why do we care about a senator who didn't win? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or that any number of things. Like, didn't he, like, wasn't he ice fishing and fell in the lake and was never seen? Like, any number of things. Yeah. Was this the guy that, with the tapping on the ground, with the, the, the toilet stalls in the Minneapolis airport, was that that guy? Was it that guy? Was it that guy? Was, was he that guy? I could have. Wasn't he? Wasn't he picked up uh, for? Wasn't he picked up for a variety of things after drinking way too much at a Packers game and like, probably still serving his term. That, Any that, one of those fates would yeah. have it would seemed at least as plausible as Ron Johnson publicly declaring that there's an actual secret society in the FBI trying to take out Donald Trump. Is my point? Yeah, but Ron Johnson declaring that there is some sort of secret cabal in the intelligence agency running, a, you know, trying to destroy Donald Trump, which. Take a step back and think about all the shit that Donald Trump has said about the intelligence and national security apparatus of this country outside of the military, which he has gone over and above to defend and say nice things about. But the 17 intelligence agencies that he has degraded from day one of his campaign, is there really any wonder that they don't like him? Sure. Oh, yeah. He's made he's made a large number of enemies there. But for, but friends, let me advise you on this. Do not. And this is a good one for our, our sprightlier friends on the left. Do not mistake the intelligence communities for the friends of progressive politics, because they are not. No, we know a number not. of people who have worked with them and for them. And I've I've, I've liked and honored and, and honored the intelligence, the integrity of the people that I have known. Uh, but historically, these are not entities that are uh, that are that you would look to as friends of the revolution. Uh, so let's let let's kind of see if we can tone down some of the like deep state deep state rhetoric, shall we? Yeah, so Ron Johnson, for his blind, dumb, stupid 
knee bending worship of Donald Trump and his defense of insane, cosmically stupid conspiracy theories for him. And it took me a long while to get that all out because I didn't know how to actually throw all the stupid things that he's done in one week into one sentence. It's real dumb. Yeah. Yeah. We shine the venal pack spotlight upon him this week. Congratulations, Ron Johnson. Now, on the subject of Ron Johnson has suggested that there is a secret cabal within the intelligence community that is somehow that is attacking Donald Trump. Uh, we're introducing a new feature. I feel uh, like I feel like because we're in dumbest timeline America, that sentence that you just stated doesn't get like people will just look at that and be like, "Yeah, go on." Oh yeah. As oh, opposed to wait, 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 wait. Oh uh, no! Let me tell you something. In April of 2016. I told a group of people, uh, a, gr- a group of people seriously, that, uh, that our boss would be, that my boss would be late joining a meeting because he had to go on MSNBC because uh, Bobby Knight, the former coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, had attempted to reappropriate, had attempted to appropriate the legacy of Harry Truman and, pra- and, the, nuclear, uh, and, the, and the nuclear bomb in praise of Donald Trump. And I was like, nothing I ever say is going to be stranger than that sentence. Oh, oh, how wrong was I? And a perfect segue into our new feature. This week, uh, we are rolling out a new feature here on uh, on Taking Ship, and that feature is headlines that smell like toast, because every headline these days feels like having a goddamn stroke. Now, the way it's going to work is this. Every week, we will have three headlines that smell like toast. Uh, two of those headlines will be real headlines, and one headline uh, will be fictitious. We will ask our guest uh, to name uh, the fictitious headline, uh, and this will continue until uh, we either we can't fucking stand it any longer or until we uh, die, really, until the earth splits and the moon turns to blood. Uh, so those are those are the, those are our options. Now, for this week, we do not have a guest. Uh, so but nonetheless, we want to get this thing started off on the right foot. So I'm just going to read these three. Um, and, uh, and, and Ellie knows what Ellie knows whether they are real or not, but I will, I will do this actually. I will ask you while our, while our listeners, uh, ponder this question, I will ask Ellie, if you were coming to this cold, which one sounds most like a fake headline to you? Well, why, um, why don't I read them out loud? Uh, because my wife is actually in the room. We'll let her choose. Oh yeah. Well, that's she will good. be our, should be our test case. That's good. Perfect. Excellent. Special, special guest Ellie's wife. So, Thank you so, much. so to repeat, uh, there are three headlines I will read. You have to choose the one that is made up. First headline, Cher slams Sarah Sanders style, quote, stop dressing like a sister wife. Second headline, crocodile loses Florida mayoral bid after denture revelations. Third headline, 12 camels were disqualified from a beauty contest after getting Botox injections. The wife picks crocodile. The wife is correct. It is, in fact, the crocodile. I may have laid it on a little thick there, but yes. Cher told Sarah Sanders to stop dressing like a sister wife, and camels got Botox injections leading into a beauty contest because every fucking headline in the world now is like having a stroke. Basically, if you're a thinking human being and you're not on some kind of blood thinner or blood pressure medication at this point, go see your doctor because you probably should be. We, We all need to cut down on our salt. There's no way around it. 
besides we're salty enough as it is. All right. It, this is, <laughs> I've, clearly been out, I've clearly been out here too long. Let's yeah. see if we can get some momentum to wrap this thing up. Shall we? We were going to talk a little bit about Trump and Davos. I actually don't want to, I don't think there's anything to fucking say about it. Except yeah. Let, let's jump into the next thing. With. Yeah. Except, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fuck Davos. Except that it provided, except it provided this service to humanity. It gave uh, Donald Trump and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu a chance to, uh, well, I mean, a, a chance to canoodle a little bit, and also for Donald Trump to act like a third-bit gangster. Yeah, it, it's pretty remarkable. Um, uh, obviously, uh, in in you know, as you and I have have discussed in the past, uh, there are three things that trigger Donald Trump to do anything. Uh, the third of which is to do the opposite of anything that Barack Obama did. And along those lines is Donald Trump's approach to Israel and the Israel-Palestinian issue and the Israel-Arab issue at, at, at large. Uh, this is something we've talked a little bit about. Uh, maybe we should dedicate some more time to it at some time in the future, maybe have Dan back on or, or, or some other super smart people. Um, but basically, uh, at Davos, uh, Netanyahu and Trump had... The, the meet and greet and they had cameras and there was equal fluffing of each other's egos and testicles, I guess, who knows? Um, God, I would have given anything for you not to have gone there. Yeah, it <laughs> happened. He's like, he's going to get out. We're going to be free. We don't have to live with this. And then just the door slammed shut. No, nope, it had to happen. What you've done. It had to happen. And, and this is coming from somebody who, uh, whatever I think of Netanyahu, I don't want anybody else in charge of that country other than him, which is saying something. Oh, that's a, God, that's, that's grim. That's, that's grim. Yeah. We can have a conversation about that in the future. But uh, essentially, uh, during this conversation, when they opened the cameras up, uh, Trump uh, you know, made comments about uh, how uh, he was... Uh, so proud to declare Jerusalem as the, uh, recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which again, a 1995-1994 law uh, essentially did uh, and just had been waived for every six months since then. Um, and for all functional purposes is just the straight up reality. Um, but the point that Trump made that seems to be uh, completely ignored by both the Israeli press and the American press. And here's the direct quote. Trump turned to Netanyahu and said, you won one point. Um, and, and that is about the declaration, uh, the recogni recognition of Israel, uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, and Trump went on, and you will give up some points later in the negotiations, if it ever takes place. I don't know if they ever will take place, but they will have respect to the process also. And that second part sort of leads into this idea of uh, Trump has now um, slashed funding for uh, UNRWA and the Palestinians overall, which the Israelis don't actually want. Um, any thinking person recognizes is just a bad idea. Uh, if you take people who are basically borderline furious about things and you remove their money and their uh, uh, their, their social net, they're just going to be more furious. And that's when you end up with, you know, God forbid, horrible situations when people start strapping bombs onto their bodies again. Um, but the fact that the the Israeli press, the American Jewish press and the American press overall seems to continue to ignore the idea that Trump has now at least twice publicly stated that the Israelis owe him something for the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is, uh, to me, 
Well, for starters, it's emblematic of dumbest timeline America or dumbest timeline globe, as we like to say. Uh, but more importantly, it is representative of this idea of you hear what you want to hear, uh, which brings to our last point that we want to make today. Uh, Raul Labrador, who is a uh, congressman from uh, Idaho, Utah, one of those states that I don't know about unless I go skiing in them. Um, Idaho, I believe. He, uh, on NPR uh, yesterday afternoon, in a conversation about immigration, when the host asked him about something that the president had said during this uh, impromptu conversation, uh, uh, press conference that the president did in the doorway to John Kelly's office, uh, just because it was some sort of bizarre dick measuring competition and Trump had to show that he was the big boss and therefore did a impromptu conversation, which has now thrown him into legal jeopardy, let alone policy jeopardy. Um, made mention, mention about uh, the immigration policies that were getting pushed up, pushed through. Raul Labrador, who is a, um, he's part of the Tom Cotton, Stephen Miller wing of the deplorable part of the Republican Party. He said live on air on NPR, I was listening at the time and I wrote it, I tweeted it immediately. Uh, you can listen to what Trump said, or you can listen to what the White House said he said. And there you have it, friends. I mean, that really is that really is exactly it. You can that there, there summarizes twenty eighteen dumbest timeline America. Yeah, this is it. I mean, that like you know, out out of the mouths of uh, I mean, well, out of the out of the out of the mouths of uh, you know of of, of dubious uh, you know uh, intellectually bankrupt congressman from Idaho comes uh, the sad and sorry truth, which is there are two realities. There's the one that we've all heard, and then there's the one that the White House is trying to get you to believe is the case. Uh, it's it's grim, but you know. Thank you. Weirdly, thank you, Congressman Labrador. God, this is the weirdest timeline ever. Thank you, Congressman Labrador, for inadvertently spelling out the truth so succinctly and clearly. Yeah, uh, and with that recognition that we are living in dumbest timeline, America, we'll uh, we'll we'll cut this short. Uh, we we are looking forward to having uh, our guest on next week. Uh, everybody should check that out. So make sure you subscribe so that you get get it as soon as we uh, post it. Um, rate us on iTunes just because you're a nice person and you like us and follow us on Twitter at at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in pernicious. Uh, you can follow us individually at Ellie Jacobs and at Frank spring, because, uh, anybody who listens to this podcast knows that we are just, you know, creative geniuses. We're a good follow. We're yeah. a very good follow. Uh, but with that, Frank, where are we headed this week? So well, there's a little bit of a change up. We were originally going to go to, uh, to to Davos because we are, of course, uh, extremely well respected thought leaders. Uh, but uh, but no, there's been but there's a news flash, and we have to change. We're turning the ship, uh, friends. We take ship for France because because a riot over Nutella has broken out. Yes, yes, finally a cause worth fighting for. Uh, a seventy percent price dip in uh, in Nutella uh, caused. Uh, shoppers to uh, attempt to stock up, uh, take advantage of the sale, uh, and, uh, and and rather misbehave. And actually, what has broken out has been described as something not too far from a riot in French shopping st- in French grocery stores or Costco. This is absolutely goddamn awesome! This is the best thing that's happened in France since I don't know the tumbril, and uh, it's it's just it, it, I I cannot get enough of this. Uh, if there is a cause that is that is worth cracking your fellow man over the skull uh, over. Uh, it is without question uh, chocolate and hazelnut spread. 
We are taking ship there. Uh, we're taking ship to France right now, not because we're going to attempt to instill order. Oh, no, friends. Please get that thought out of your head. There's cheap Nutella to be had and chaos to be sown. And if that isn't a giant taking ship signal in the sky, I don't know what is. Friends, fair stands the wind for France. Take care, everybody. 